Hello, Vinyl Community, and welcome back to the Vinyl Community Podcasts. This is David Bianco from the YouTube channel, Safe and Sound Texas Audio Excursion. Today, I'm going to be going back in time to a few of my previous endeavors discussing the issue of production of music and how it happens and how it gets onto the record. Along with that, I'll be delving into the idea of grading and the standards that exist for grading used vinyl. That's coming up next here on the Vinyl Community Podcast. Welcome to the Audio Excursion. Today we're going to be talking about how music is produced, the beginning of music. I know we've talked a lot about getting things to record and the mastering chain and all of that in the MoFi situation. It's time to move past that unless there's something significant. Now it's time to talk about how music gets made. And there's various ways it gets made, but the fundamentals are always the same. The techniques have changed over time. So we're going to focus on that next on The Sound of Safe and Sound, Texas. Hello again. So... What about music? How is it created? Well, there's a lot of different types of music. There's symphonic music, you know, classical music, there's country music, rock music, but the fundamentals, you know, they're, they're all basically the same. And that is an artist has to produce some kind of song, whether it's musically uh, an instrumental or it's vocals and instrumentals, whatever it might be. And so they go into a studio usually. Some albums are done very raw early Paul McCartney albums when he went solo he kind of just had a recorder a four track recorder and he, he did them on his own he even played all the instruments and then he mixed it together so it can be very unsophisticated to very sophisticated but of course in today's world we're into many many tracks of music and so how does that begin well an artist decides on songs to put on an album and they usually work with a producer uh, that will help them do that and also you know how are they going to present those songs uh, if they wrote them themselves of course they can just uh, decide how they're going to do it but sometimes you do a cover of something that's been done before written by somebody else uh, and maybe you're going to make it your own and make it a little bit different maybe speed it up a little use different instruments whatever and that's in the production and deciding how we're going to make the music but once the artist knows how they're going to make the music and they have maybe accompanying uh, artists with them or they have a band whatever it is uh, the instruments and the voices uh, come in through some sort of an electronic device, a microphone or a direct connection. And, and that goes into a soundboard, and that soundboard can have any number of channels. Early uh, stereo was really, you know, four channel was kind of the where they would have four different inputs coming in and, and they would separate that way. That's why some of the really early stuff of the Beatles, when it's in stereo, it just sounds really awful. Uh, and it's only because sometimes there were just only four tracks and the voices were on a track or two, the drums and the two guitars. So you had very, you had limitations in terms of what all you could record. But then when it got mixed by the uh, mixing engineer, they would decide where the placement of that would be and how loud it would be. So that's when the mixing comes in. 
And the mixing is done typically on a multi-track. So it's taking all of these different tracks. And again, today, you know, you're into 16, 32, 64 channels and tracks that you can pull in. And, and obviously to modulate all that and to make it mixed into what you end up hearing in two tracks is the work of, of the engineer. Uh, and the artists involved to see what's going to sound predominant. Uh, is the guitar going to sound really predominant? In a solo, it probably is. In, in the rest of the song, it might be pushed back a little bit or lessened on the volume. Where's the placement going to be of the instruments? Are they going to be centered? Are they going to be, you know, 30 degrees out from center? Are they going to be as far out as the end? In other words, uh, that instrument is totally shut off from one channel and it sounds like it's over here or it's over here. So the engineer is determining all that in the multi-track. And the multi-track then usually then comes down to become the, the two-track final mix, so to speak, of left and right. If it's quadraphonic, it was four. If it's multi-channel, uh, like an SACD, uh, it can be more channels than that. You have your 5.1, which is uh, six channels, including the uh, subwoofer, or 7.1, which is uh, seven plus a subwoofer, or there's, I think, 9.2 now with two subwoofers in the front and the back. Oh, it's, but my point is, these are all the individual channels. So as you split these off more, you can hear more discrete sounds coming out of the various instruments. But when you're in a two-track stereo, those are kind of all blended together, and then they are volume controlled, and they are balance controlled as to which channel they go into. So when we end up with a, a two-track original master, whether it's a tape media, analog or whether it's digital in a file of some kind which is more and more common that typically then has been mixed down from the multi-track and that is kind of the signature that is how the artist wants the product presented to the audience in terms of the way it sounds and in terms of the balance and the emphasis of different instruments and voices and things of that nature. And so, you know, if you think about it, the multi-track that has the uh, individual instruments or voices, that is really the first gen, that is the origin. Anything coming down from that, you know, is a, is a first generation coming off of that to make that stereo master, for example. Uh, and again, I don't want to get into the whole analog and digital thing, but the point of the matter is, uh, if someone is going to remix something, like Giles Martin has done with some of the Beatles things, okay, if they're going to remix it, they have to go back to the multi-track because they're actually re-emphasizing, de-emphasizing, and placing certain things uh, as opposed to a remastering, which means they take that stereo definition that was made when it was mixed originally and they're just going to put it to a new media and they're going to master it to that whether it's a CD media or a vinyl media so they're not remixing it so that's another area to to clarify obviously if you have the original tracks uh, multi-tracks that are there with the individual instruments and voices, you can do a whole lot more calibration. You can do a whole lot more adjustment. And things can sound different. The song can sound totally different. 
Uh, and back in the day, I think we all have probably heard, if you're a Beatles fan, you know, a lot of the things that they did, you know, they were, they were mixed to mono. They were, that's how they were made. Uh, and that's how the, the, the emphasis was. Stereo was an was a afterthought. Uh, actually at the time and they didn't really spend much time even mixing those they threw them together because that really wasn't the emphasis now you know the, the labels and the the market uh, in terms of equipment manufacturers were really wanting to sell hey look at this separation and in some ways that's probably why some of these things also are so distinct where the voice is over there and the music is over there because it gave you that very hard distinct stereo kind of imaging uh, but it really isn't that um, pleasing to, to listen to. Um, it's better if the voices are toward the middle and the instruments are spread out a little bit. That seems a, a little more natural. But that is all, again, a matter of the engineer and the way that they end up mixing it uh, in, from the multi-channel. And if they mix it down to uh, a mono, then, you know, it's all kind of laid in there together. And it really now is a matter of emphasis, which particular instruments or voices are in fact going to be emphasized or de-emphasized. So that's how really that happens on the front end. And in order to really hear the unique sounds of, of what is recorded, uh, the further back you can get to the multi-track, the more you're going to hear. Uh, the reason I bring this up is because of SACDs uh, and multi-channel. Uh, there is a whole industry of multi-channel, and multi-channel uh, was originated in the 70s, probably the later 60s in terms of uh, benchmark technology, but actually got into the consumer in the 70s. And, and there were records that can do quadraphonic, four channel, and uh, there were different methods they had to do that. There was SQ, which was a matrix type of blend uh, of a, a decoder would have to decode that. There was QS, which was a competing one to SQ. Uh, uh, SQ was more like CBS. Uh, Columbia was really pushing that. And then QS were some other labels and a little more independent. Uh, and it actually had a better uh, ability than SQ did. And then lastly, there was what was called CD4, which was discrete technology. Um, SQ and QS required decoders. Uh, CD4 required what's called a demodulator. And that was a much more high precision effort in terms of a certain kind of cartridge was needed to get up to the frequency rate to read uh, the carrier signal. And there was uh, also the need for um, what was called, again, this demodulator, which is a little more expensive than decoders. And it would have to pick up that carrier signal and they had adjustments. So it was very... Uh, when it worked, it was great, and when it uh, was able to deliver, it was it was discrete, where you really had really higher separation in the four channels, and that's also called 4.0, which the .0 means no subwoofer, so the lower end was uh, was included in the other channels, whereas newer things have 5.1, which includes a subwoofer channel kind of separately. Uh, but, but the point of this is to talk about the channels and to talk about the mix. So when you listen to a multi-channel, whether it be an older quadraphonic or whether it be the newer SACDs that are in usually 5.1, 
you really can hear distinct instruments much more easily. And it really does change the experience that you have. Uh, you'll, I mean, you'll literally say, I, boy, I, I hear that piano now. I didn't really hear that really before. And that's usually because when it was in stereo, you know, maybe the volume level on it wasn't that high and other things were predominant over it. So when you have multi-channel, it gets a chance to separate some of those things out. And so uh, it's, it's a very interesting capability. Uh, now, not all SACDs are multi-channel. Be careful. Uh, MoFi's uh, SACDs are just stereo. They're not necessarily multi-channel. Most of them are what are called hybrid, meaning it's an SACD that can play on a CD player. But again, it's still just stereo. It's not multi-channel. So if you want multi-channel, you know, you have to look for that, and they're a little more expensive. Um, and you have to have the amplification and the speakers to, to get that reproduction, uh, the amplifier reproducing those those channels, whether it's 4.0 or 5.1, and then, of course, the speakers to, to pick up on that. But it is a better experience in terms of hearing different things. The mixes are different. I have some quads of uh, uh, Pink Floyd. Uh, there's a, one I think they sell through um, uh, Acoustic Sounds uh, that is a, a pressing of that of uh, Dark Side of the Moon. That's 5.1, which is just awesome. Totally uh, here are some really unique things with it. So the idea here was to talk about how does thing get, things get down to where we actually end up hearing them on the media, whether it's a CD or whether it's a, a record. And regardless of the, quote, mastering chain, which really has to do more about refining and, and having the accuracy of that original uh, file or tape, whatever it might be, whatever media is used, uh, the accuracy of that and how well it gets uh, transcribed essentially to the media. But the quality of it and the mix of it and where it's where the music is located and the sounds are located is all done up at front in the production and in the mixing uh, that is done by, by the engineer. Uh, and, and you can see if you've ever looked the tools they have now in digital on PC where you can have mixers and any number of channels and Obviously, the flexibility is so much higher than it was in the past, you know, with the board and everything like that and tapes, which are more difficult to manage. So the, the technology has certainly made it easier to do the work. There, you know, that's not really arguable, in my opinion. I don't think anybody can argue that at all. Uh, and I'll be putting a link in here for you to see. Frank Filippetti is an engineer who's been around for several decades, four decades, I think, at least. Uh, and uh, he has a video on uh, his experience moving from analog to digital and what it is it has added to his repertoire to be able uh, to do the work that he does. And it's just, it's just very interesting to, to see. But this, again, is a matter of how does it get to where we get to hear it? So again, it's kind of the imagination of the engineer and then the artists of how do they want that end experience to be for you, the listener? What are they wanting you to hear more uh, strikingly or predominantly? Where do they want you to hear it? You know, they can mix it. You know, there's hard, there's hard stereo stuff like in Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love that circular kind of sound back and forth, they go, you know, it, you know, that's for effect, right? That's for effect. 
the clocks at the beginning of time of Dark Side of the Moon. You know, that's all like if you were standing in a uh, in a shop that had grandfather clocks and they all started going off at the same time, you know, that kind of effect, which is, I actually think, the way they recorded it, if I recall what Alan Parsons had said. So it is, to me, trying to bring what would be live experience to you. What would you hear? How would you hear placement? You know, if all the singers are singing way on one side, you know, that, does that sound like the way they would do it live? Probably not. You know, they'd probably be more centered and maybe the accompanist would be split a little bit further apart from the, the lead singer and, and all these. So you really, you know, music should be almost a close your eyes experience where you could close your eyes and imagine you were either, you know, at, at the concert or in the studio, whatever it might be. Uh, it's one of the reasons live recordings are often mic'd and recorded based on the way the placement is in the hall so that you get that experience over again. But when you're doing it piecemeal or in a studio, uh, you know, you have to kind of reimagine then how you want it done. And I think some of these remixes they call reimagining, you know, a McCartney album or whatever. And the reason is they're, they're looking at maybe some lost tapes and they're looking at bringing those to the product, but also some of the things that were on the original uh, and maybe how they could be mixed differently or done a little differently or outtakes. So, you, you know, that's what it's about. But at the end of the day, records or CDs generally end up in a two-channel format. You listen to that, and that is a consequence of how it got mixed. We're going to focus on the issue of grading vinyl. In other words, used vinyl. How do you know how good it is? Well, there's a gold mine grading standard that has been developed years ago, and it's kind of the one that is used most often. So it's the one we're going to discuss to some degree today. We're going to also talk about visual grading versus play grading. Now, the goldmine standard is mainly based on visual grading, although it does talk about some elements of play grading as well. But typically, um, when someone rates a record, the question is fair to ask, is that simply a visual grade or is it additionally a play grade? Because at the end of the day, you play the record, you don't just look at it. And some issues with records can happen uh, beyond what you can see. So play grading is, is obviously what you end up doing. You do play analysis when you receive the record uh, to determine, did it meet what my expectations were? So let's look at what the grading uh, sections and categories are. So at the very tippy top, we have mint and near mint and near mint minus. And the, these I put in a tier by themselves because they're really the premier type of ratings. And to be real honest, I think they can be abused. They can be misused. They, everybody, it's kind of like, think about the example when someone is going to sell their used car. You know, they've got the greatest looking used car in the world and, you know, they're not going to notice the, the, the defects that are there, the issues potentially. Uh, they're going to basically talk about talk it up a bit 
and uh, not in any nefarious way necessarily, but, but certainly uh, going to uh, give it its best light, so to speak. And so with vinyl, it can be very similar too. And, and the look of a record can be very deceiving. Uh, and here's an example that proves it. You can take a record right out of the sleeve that you buy brand new, break the seal yourself. And there can be visual defects. There can be auditory defects that later you hear when you play. Uh, my advice is when you get new records, you clean them before you play them. That sounds uh, counterintuitive. It sounds like, why would you need to? But trust me, you do. And so uh, if, you know, if you're going to have that situation with something new, and I think it is worse now than it, it was in, in the day, because I think the quality control is not quite as strong. And I think that the production is uh, very high and very uh, smaller amounts of places to press the vinyl. So what are we up against? We're up against supply and demand, high demand, uh, lessening supply means, uh, you know, plants that are booked out into 2023 uh, to make uh, to make records. So, uh, you know, buyer beware. You just need to clean your vinyl when you get it. So the, these vinyls you get from other people to speak to whether it's in the near mint grouping, whether that's mint, near mint, near mint minus, would really mean that the person selling it knows specifically how it was handled, what it was played on equipment-wise with the turntable, tone arm cartridge, how often it was played, how it was maintained. Uh, and one can really usually only speak to that if they've bought it brand new themselves and then maintained it, which is a fair degree of my collection is that way because I bought my records uh, when they came out in the day and I've kept them ever since, hauled them around as I told you in my introductory video. And uh, I can speak to the amount of play they've had and I can speak to the type of equipment they've been subjected to. Uh, when you're buying secondhand, third hand, fourth hand, whatever it is, you don't know. And that's why a visual is a starting point, and that's great. Obviously, if there's a big scratch in it, you're going to hear that. That's going to be bad, no doubt about it. So, I mean, the visual is a starting point. It is, again, not the ideal way to finally determine the record. A play grade is. So it's fair to ask someone selling, is this graded? as a play grade or is it just visual only grade? And then if it's visual only, that's fine. What's their what's their return policy? Seven days, whatever, give me a chance to listen to it. Uh, again, if you go into a store that has uh, turntables available and headphones to listen to, that's perfect. Uh, Josie Records here in Dallas area has it. Uh, typically, if I go in there and we're gonna buy some records, uh, I listen to them and typically half of the records I pick, I typically put back because of some issue. Uh, warps are hard to detect unless you put them on a turntable are very easy to detect then, for example. Also any, you know, physical uh, play defects. Uh, and so, you know, that's the buyer beware kind of a part that has uh, a big element in, in vinyl purchasing. So again, very few records really meet the near mint uh, or mint uh, status. So, you know, we get down to, you know, those are the ones that you know, basically been played very few times. Uh, people sometimes buy records, put them on tape. Uh, back in the day, eight track uh, tape wouldn't be really where you'd want to go, but maybe a cassette, definitely a reel to reel. So, uh, and then maybe you wouldn't play it very much. 
and that's fair and that's fine and that usually means uh, it's going to be in as good a condition as you could ex expect it to be but but more likely you're going to run into records that are in the vg plus or vg category or worse so vg plus means it does have a few pops and ticks here and there visually looks good it might have a few scuffs when you pull a record out of the paper sleeve sometimes you'll get it what's called a scuff mark across it doesn't it's not a scratch it's not an indentation it shouldn't be audible uh, it's not what we call a feeler it doesn't you know it's not gouged into the vinyl where you could feel it um, and so those are the ones that when they're well maintained uh, well kept cleaned uh, kept from dust cut from fingerprints there's no spindle marks around the center hole where someone has tried to you know get put it on the turntable and didn't really look very closely uh, we used to do that in a radio station when I was a DJ you know just kind of put the record over there and just kind of feel our way to the spindle hole because you know, we had other things to be doing with our other hands, getting tape carts ready for commercials or uh, doing a phone uh, discussion with uh, someone that's going to go on air or, or a listener or something like that. So multitasking, you know, we didn't always have the time to stand over the turntable and hit dead center. So that's a wear indicator. It's also an indicator of how it was handled and maintained. Again, dust, fingerprints, all that's an indication the record was you know, wasn't well maintained and, and buyer beware for sure on those. But VG Plus, it's in good visual shape. Uh, it plays well. It might have a few pops or ticks here and there. It is a, a medium that can have that happen. And the, really, VG Plus is really the lowest grade I will purchase. Uh, I won't, VGs, I won't get or below good, fair, poor, uh, any of those. I call those bottom ones uh, kind of a vinyl frisbee. Um, VG you know, maybe depending if I really, really want something and uh, it's hard to find and, and I find it and uh, I might do that and then wait maybe to find an upgrade copy that I can get VG plus or better. You might hear people say VG plus plus. Uh, excellent is an equivalent of VG plus, but people saying VG plus plus plus. They're really saying, hey, it's really a strong VG. It has uh, really all the attributes of a VG. It could maybe be a near minus, but I can't really substantiate that it is. So I'm not going to go into the word mint in the rating territory, but it really has uh, the look of a record that was well maintained to this uh, magnitude. So for now, David Bianco here at the Safe and Sound Texas Audio Excursion, thanking you for joining me on today's Vinyl Community Podcast.